they had found out that this man had started following Jesus and so apprehended him on the side of the road and had knives and stabbed him. And someone found him, rushed him to the hospital, nor went and was able to interact with him a little bit. And she said, when she told me that she was crying and saying, this is my fault. I shouldn't have even, I shouldn't have even said anything to you. And he said to her, Nor, this is not your fault. I'm so glad that I learned about Jesus and that I could follow him. This is not your fault. And then later on that night, he passed away in the hospital. And it was, it was a really dark time. Hi guys, welcome back to Raw Mission. I'm Matt, your host for this podcast. And today I'm joined by Emily, who's currently serving in Lebanon and has a particular heart for and ministry among Syrian refugee widows. You're going to hear some wonderful stories about the emerging fellowship of believers there. And Emily will also talk with great honesty about trauma, poverty, mental health, burnout and the dark night of the soul. Well, this morning I've got Emily with me. Hi, Emily. Good to see you. Hi, good to see you too. Whereabouts are you right now and where are you from originally? I am currently in Lebanon and I am from uh, the States. Yeah, brilliant. Let's hear a little bit about your your background, your upbringing. Did you grow up in a kind of Christian home, Christian family and, and always dream about going overseas or has this been a, a something later on in your life that God brought to you? Yeah, I did. I did grow up in a Christian home and um, definitely started really following Jesus in high school. But I think what really um, just caught my heart was when I took Perspectives on the World Christian Movement in, as a freshman in college. And I just knew, like, it just really gave me a God's heart for the nations and expanded my vision of of his, his heart to see his kingdom expanded here on earth. So um, mm. that really moved in me to want to go out. Just in case someone doesn't know what Perspectives is, can you quickly summarize it? Sure. Um, it's a class that kind of goes over um, different missions movements over the course of history and um, and also just how God's heart isn't just for a person, a family, it's for the nations. Mm. And um, so there's a quick summary for you. Okay. And so that started growing in you, did you say at the end of high school or in your college years? Uh, end of high school and my freshman year of college, yes. Mm. And so what happened next? Well, um, my junior year of college, a couple of us, we were all friends, decided we wanted to go overseas and do a short-term mission trip together. We just said, God, we're, we're willing, like just open doors and doors open for us to go to Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And so we went on a short-term trip. Yeah. Six weeks in, uh, that would have been summer of 2004. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So a group of you went out there. How did you manage that? Did you just work it out on your own, look up something on online and find a church to go visit? Or or was there sort of a, an organization involved? Well, we, oh yeah, we had, we had some relational connections with Carl Medeiros, um, who was in Lebanon at the time. He's been in the States now for a while. And, mm. but, so we were going to partner with him, but then he ended up getting 
kicked out of the country. So we overlapped with him for a day. We got to worship and pray together. But then we found ourselves in a foreign country on our own. One person spoke Arabic, but in Lebanon, you can get around with English. And so so we ended up partnering um, with the IMB doing a Bible distribution project, um, Mm -hmm. which ended up being great for us and a great way for us to meet people and and really um, start to understand and um, really get a love for the culture here. Mm. And so what what kind of area was that because Lebanon is so mixed isn't it we we did a podcast a couple of weeks a few weeks ago now um when we were hearing all about how you know a lot of Christians there and Druze and different kinds of Muslims and different cultural backgrounds so yeah on that short-term trip were you working amongst Muslims yes okay yeah so how did that go was it a real eye-opener was it easier than you thought or tougher than you thought it was I'm going to go with the first, a real eye-opener. I think I was unprepared for how hospitable, how welcoming people would be, invite us into their homes, offer us tea, offer us coffee. It was, oh, it was making us meals. I was really just taken with the hospitality that they showed us. Mm, It's famous, isn't it? The hospitality in the Arab world. And that's great to hear. Yeah, that confirmed just again. And and at this point, were was it a group of singles that went out? And how did that work as a single woman? Because some countries it's quite scary to travel to as a single woman, perhaps. Or, um, But did you feel very at ease in Lebanon? Mostly. I, I was single then. And yes, I, I definitely had a few challenging interactions. But I think that it was us a bunch of college students with the guys on the trip. I feel like we usually we, we never went out just alone. We always had yes. someone with us. So. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's good advice, isn't it, for anyone even traveling, probably, um, yes. especially in a new culture where you don't really understand what's happening. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So what happened after that? That was for, did you say five, five six weeks? Uh, yes, that was six weeks. Mm. And so what? how did that develop in your own calling and vocation? Well, while I was there, uh, I had a dream and... And the Lord, around my freshman year of college, the Lord had started to speak to me in dreams. And so I was definitely in a season of paying attention to my dreams. And in this dream, I was erecting a tent and we had the tent pegs and the tent. And I was showing other Muslim women how to erect this tent. Um, But we didn't have hammers. We had the Injil Sharif. We had Arabic New Testaments. Mm -hmm. And... I, and I woke up and was really just shaken to my core just by the by the dream and all that was in it and all that was implicated in it. And I, I just knew in in the depths of my spirit that God wanted me in this nation to just really help help these women, help partner with them, show them how they too can um, house the presence of God in their communities. Wow, that's really powerful, isn't it? Just want to take a minute just to think about that because, yeah, one. I mean, there's all sorts we could talk about there, just dreams and how God does sp- still speak in dreams, not just to Muslims that we work amongst, but even even to us, and we do need to be open to that. Um, but how exciting. I mean, just thinking as well about the tabernacle and the presence of God and just the imagery around that dream, so interesting. 
Yes, it was so rich. I mean, it's just a dream that I almost like I've taken with me as a traveling companion and has and has helped me through harder seasons, easier seasons, just a dream that's with me always. Mm. And and even being Christmas now, you know, where you know we read about some of the dreams in the Christmas story and the scriptures. And I often think, you know, with with Mary, you know, she had these promises. She had these sort of dreams and these you know, this child will be called this and this child will do this. But she had to hold on to so much, didn't she? She had to treasure it in her heart. So was there something about that vision that you got that took years to unfold? Yes, it was definitely a long process um, because, let's see, I had that dream in 2004. And then we went back on subsequent short-term trips in 2005, 2006. Um, in 2006, we had to evacuate because of the July 2006 war. Mm-hmm. And we ended up in Jordan, but actually felt like um, a mercy, a gift from God, however you could say it, because we found really great Arabic programs there. And so we knew, okay, we want to move here first. Because in Lebanon, there is so much English spoken. It's, it mm-hmm. can be hard to learn Arabic. Um, and so we, it was it helped us realize, okay, because at this point, um, I had I had married one of the guys on the short-term trip. <laughs> so oh, we knew cool. we <laughs> Yeah, we knew we wanted to move overseas long term, um, but we didn't know how it was going to happen. And so it was interesting because then in 2006, we knew, okay, let's let's spend two years in Jordan really learning Arabic Mm. uh, and then move to Lebanon. So but in regards to the dream, yes, it was a sort of unfolding gift where obviously the dream at first was amazing. And I knew it was God calling me to the Middle East. But then it kind of helped me as I'm plowing through Arabic because it's such a hard language. And then, you know, we moved to Lebanon. I have young kids. It's, it can be so hard to meet people and you meet a person, you think, oh, maybe this is a person I can, we can like erect a tent together. How's the presence of God, right? And then they end up, you know, fickling out. And so um, it really was, I would say 10 years before I really felt like I had a woman that we were partnering together. We were, you know, erecting a tent to house the presence of the Lord. And so it was, it was a decade long unfolding of that dream for sure. Let's, let's pick that up because I I want to hear that story, but let's just fill in the pieces of the puzzle. What was the process between those short-term trips, then the language learning? Did you go back to the States after being in Jordan or did you go long-term into Lebanon at that point? And what sort of platform did you have there to serve the people when you first arrived? Yeah, those are great questions. I had a, I have two kids. I had had my first in Jordan. And so he was a baby at the time. We went back after our two years Arabic program in Jordan to the States for about three months. Mm. Um, and, and then relaunched into Lebanon. We've always really had a heart for students. So we, we started there and my husband at the time taught at a high school. He's now teaching at a university, but we've continued that sort of ministry all through these different years. And so it was great because my husband's um, really a natural evangelist. And so he would meet all these people and make connections and then I could follow up with them, (laughs) you know? So, um, and we really, we really love the, just the disciple making movements process where you try to find a person of peace, um, start reading the Bible with them, starting with creation, trying to help them understand who God is, how they can have a relationship with him, and then moving into the prophecies of Jesus and then into his life. We found that to be a really just powerful way to engage 
um, our cousin friends. And, and so we were, we've, yeah. So we've been doing that since the beginning and, um, we're doing that. And then the Syrian refugee or the Syrian war happened. And that's when refugees started pouring in. And I felt very moved to help them. Um, we don't necessarily feel very tied to one place. So right now we're in a neighborhood that's very close to the university and we have a house church with MVPs that are mostly university age, but spanning up to late twenties. Wow. So do you have your own house church fellowship with other international folks and then this house church with uh, young studenty types and people in their 20s from a muslim background no we don't have a church with with other internationals mm. this is our our family our fellowship this that's, this church. Wow. that's wonderful and are you guys the only foreigners in that or do you have some other um, families involved we are the only foreigners in it okay yeah a real privilege and, and so does that all happen in english or arabic it's mostly in English. It is some in Arabic, especially if someone comes that doesn't. Most of them are fluent in English, so we kind of do a mix. Yes. Um, but and and for the sake of our kids, it's sweet. Some of the people there will switch, especially for my youngest, who's still mm. getting proficient in Arabic. They'll switch in English for her, which is mm. really kind. So, but most of the, most of it's in English. So. Yeah, that's it's really exciting to hear about some of these young guys then who have chosen to follow Jesus from a Muslim background. Has that been difficult for them? Is this an underground thing? Do their families know? Or what's the situation? What's the environment like there for Muslims exploring Jesus? That's a great question. I think for, for the most part, this is just our experience. So we've heard of many different experiences. We do encourage them to tell their families, and they do. And they're usually just met with... Um, Maybe some social ostracization, but not anything um, that is dangerous. Um, it's just, I think it it's puzzling mm. <laughs> to the parents or to the families, but they accept it generally. Wow, so, that's really cool. Because yeah. certainly, obviously, in Pakistan, where I was, um, I think there would be, everyone would be very, very worried that it would immediately lead to complete family cutoff at best and possibly violence, possibly death. So that's really encouraging to hear that where you are, possibly because it's a, um, a lot a lot of education there, a lot of mixing of cultures and religions. And so perhaps there is a bit more openness and freedom for people to pick their own path. Yes, I, I think that that would be that's that's very true. Mm. In fact, we just did. A, we just had one of the women who's been coming she chose to get baptized recently. And so she actually invited her brother um, and he came and observed. And actually when we actually had people share just about, about this woman and what we saw in her and what we saw God doing in her life. And he, he shared about her and just in this honoring, beautiful way, even though he had never come been a part so it is nice because there is a more of an openness here um, mm. than I know I've heard in other more closed countries, you know, mm. or even when we were living in Jordan. So yes, yeah, wow, that's really cool. So this so this this group then this church that you're part of it, it's it's ladies, men, but mostly younger in their twenties. So. Yes, correct. Yeah, great. Oh. Um, yeah, well, tell us a little bit then about uh, the influx of Syrian refugees and how that's impacted you guys, your lives, your ministry. Sure. 
So when the Syrian war started, it just felt like it was on my doorstep, this humanitarian crisis on my doorstep. And I I felt like I had to do something. Uh, However, (laughs) I had just had a baby. (laughs) And so I, uh, I felt the Lord, you know, say, pray, there will come a time where you will serve. But right now I'm asking you to pray, you know, and so that was that definitely tried me because I'm definitely I want to get out there, be in the thick of it. So um, so I would say for the first six months or so, I did lots of praying for these people and heard stories from my friends who um, who had tried to help them because most of the Syrians in Lebanon, I mean, they're all over the country. There's millions here. I um, taught English in a school that um, we, we had partnered with a Lebanese organization that they tried to set up a school in the camps. Mm. I helped as a translator in different mobile medical clinics. And, and it was actually through these clinics, one of my, or two of my teammates actually at the time, um, were, were running these clinics and I would translate, but then also we would offer to pray for every person that came in and almost all of them said yes to prayer. And so I had these beautiful times of prayer for these people who were so traumatized and, Um, and wanted desperately for someone to listen to them. And so it was just, it was a time of listening and praying for these people. And so it was through the clinics that I um, met in particular, this one woman, Noor, and she, she was so struck by how we treated them because she was used to people just coming in and just, you know, giving them their food parcels and then, okay, next, you know, kind of just treated as a number. And she said, you really asked I could, cause she, she, we did in bigger clinics, we would, we would have like a, a tent where they would see the men, a tent where they would see the women. Sometimes we'd bring in doctors, you know, um, that would come and visit and help. And then a tent where we would have kind of the pharmacy with the meds and then that's where we'd offer to pray for people. And so this woman had had agreed to house the pharmacy in her tent. And she, so she just saw us praying for people for hours. And she was so astonished at how we interacted with them at how we listened and, and prayed. And she said, I want to, I just want to know more. She was so curious. She just wanted to know more about it. So mm-hmm. I went and followed up and visited with her and, and again, and she very quickly became a person of peace that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And every, every, every story we listened to from the Bible, she wanted more and she wanted to share about, and there was a, actually an entire camp of widows across the street from us that she would just, every story she would share. And so we started get this. So it was started with her and then it became two other women and then it became six other women, you know? And so, and so it just started growing and um, yeah, and it was just, it was a really exciting time because I could just see, it was like, I got a front row seat, seeing God speak life and hope into these women through the scriptures. Mm. Can you give us an indication of what they had come out of back in Syria? Because I mean, some of, some, some of us read a lot of the news stories and, and dig into that, but for others, it's just either it passes them by or Deliberately, I suppose folks here sometimes choose, I can't handle that. I can't read too many crazy stories from around the world of people suffering. So can you just give us an indication of some of the things they've come out of that they're struggling with? Yes. Um, A lot of the widows lost their husbands in the war. 
And so very traumatic stories there where they either see their husband die in front of them. They see people, most of them are from an area that was ISIS controlled. And so, you know, ISIS was just brutal. They would make you watch public beheadings. I mean, it was brutal. And, and so that to the stories, I had secondary trauma from the stories. So the stories were, were truly awful. And so I think that to see these women so downtrodden, so hopeless to see them grasp on to the, to the stories that we're hearing about God. And, and it's like they were being offered a different way, a door of light, a door of hope that they could open and walk through. So. Mm. I mean, I presume some of them lost, not just, you know, husbands, but, but children. Um, yes. did, you, did many, any, any, old, you know, older folks come through who, who lost, you know, several members of their family, I suppose, older, younger. Yes. Yeah. Several members of family. Yes. As you're saying it, I'm recalling stories, yeah, very specific stories sorry. coming to mind. That it's it's it is it's heartbreaking. The stories are are heartbreaking. Yeah, we can't imagine really. I mean, just not wanting to dwell on it too long. Um, but do you did you find that they really wanted to talk and about these things and share these stories? Because presumably they'd shared them in their own communities, but was there something different about an outsider listening? Yes, I think so. A lot. One one thing that I observed is when they would get in groups to share, all of them had traumatizing stories. And so it would almost be this, you know, a woman maybe vulnerably shares something that was really hard. She lost her son. But then another woman would say, well, that's hard, but I lost two sons. And so it didn't necessarily feel like a safe space where they could truly unburden themselves from the pain and suffering that they were living through every day. And I think that um, through through listening to these stories and through just the discipleship process that happens, they realized there could be a different way of holding each other's pain. Mm -hmm. And that was actually a beautiful transformative process that that happened. Do you have particular go-to Bible stories that you found have really touched hearts in this in the middle of this process with the widows? Mm. That's a wonderful sorry to, question. Sorry to put you on the spot then on that one. No, no. <laughs> I'm just thinking of the ones that that are referenced the most by the women I interact with the most. I think one would be um the woman coming to Jesus' feet and 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 anointing his feet with the perfume that's so expensive and wiping his feet with her hair and just this and and how she's accepted in this company of men I think is um is a story that that sticks with them they reference another one they reference a lot is the the parable of building a house on rock instead of sand and again, I think it's that that they felt so out of control. They lost their homes. They lost family members. There's this sense of this sinking sand. There's no solid place to put their feet. And Jesus became a rock for them, a rock for them. And so that is one that they reference and that they tell and retell a lot. They also love all the miracles. And, and, and because then they have their own stories of miracles, how God has miraculously provided for them. And so those are just like food for prayer. And yes, I've seen how God's provided for me, you know, yes. so. 
Yes, gosh, yeah, that reminds me of Elisha and the widow and, yeah, just the miracle stories in the Old Testament as well. But, yeah, that's so interesting. That sinking sound, I would never have thought of that as being one that would really hit home, but that that makes a lot of sense. And this is going to sound a little trite in comparison to the ladies you're engaging with, but as workers ourselves who leave some things behind of our own culture, there's there's just a little bit in our story where we've had that feeling of everything we touch or try to stand on is shifting. We can't control this. We don't get this environment. We don't get this culture or suddenly our visas are taken away or suddenly we've got to, we don't know how healthcare works here for our kid who's sick. And it's a tiny microcosm of what these ladies have experienced. But I'm trying to just, you know, connect for our listeners how you as a, an American woman coming to talk with them, listen to them, can actually also engage on a little level there as obviously a woman, a mother, um, a follower of Jesus, but also just something about my life is kind of in God's hands and I don't really control all of it. You get a little bit more of that than those of us when we're sort of in the West and everything seems, <laughs> seems, you know, we think we're more stable here. That's that's very true. And and I I even I had a moment, this was a few years ago, when the the main leader that I invested in, Noor, she she just looked at me and she said, You left everything. You left your family, you left your home, not because war forced you out like right. me. You chose to because you wanted to come here and share about Jesus with us. Mm. I just can't what sacrifice. And I just started crying. I I don't think I I ever expected that someone else would see that sort of sacrifice that I felt felt pretty hidden. You know, it feels very real to all of us, the workers all living overseas of the sacrifices, the daily sacrifices and the daily the all the myriad ways we have to choose, mm-hmm. you know, to to live this life. Um, but for someone else to reflect it back to me like that. I just felt really seen by her. Mm. So this, yeah, this is powerful. This is beautiful. You, you know, just, I can see it right there. The two of you talking, seeing each other in the suffering and the sacrifice, whether enforced or chosen. Um, that's really beautiful. And then of course, the whole heart of this is not just, you know, your connection, but connecting that to Jesus and how he gave up so much, you know, and what we do yes. again, is just a teeny, teeny little picture of the amazing incarnation and wow i mean leading up to christmas right now this is beautiful uh, thank you for sharing that so tell us more about Noor's, um i suppose her connections and what god is doing amongst the widows and the camps yeah any other stories you'd like to share sure so with Noor, she she just as a true person of peace couldn't help but share invite people into her home mm. this is this is who god is this is who jesus is i never knew you've got to hear this um even took a trip back to syria at one point and started groups there because wow. again she just couldn't help but share and so through all of that you know a lot of these women that are in this network are widows and all of them are suffering economically Mm. in terrible, terrible ways. But the widows, because they have no husbands to help them, if they do have family, maybe they're in Turkey, maybe they're in Syria, there's just no, there's no real financial help for them. Uh, Nor 
would say, how can we help these women? We can't just share these words, but then they, they don't, they might not even know where their next meal is coming from. A lot of them at this point would be working out in the fields, harvesting potatoes, which is backbreaking work um, for a salary they wouldn't see. It would go straight to the landowner. And, and, you know, it basically a, a form of modern slavery. I mean, it's terrible. They never got to see their kids because they're out in the fields all day. Sharing this podcast is a really good way to encourage more people to get involved with God's great mission, whether locally or globally. So please do help us get the word out there. If you use an iPhone, it's pretty easy to write us a review, and that has a big impact on how many people can find us. Alternatively, you could share one of your favorite episodes with your church family or home group or see you, either in person or on WhatsApp or social media. Thanks, guys. And now let's get back to the podcast. So Noor and I, we really prayed and and wondered and asked, okay, God, how can we help this? And I, I didn't want to muddy the waters with with money or trying to help them financially. How, how do we do this well? And um, I actually had a dream where God very clearly told me to help the widows, which was the impetus I needed. And from there, it was beautiful because Nora and I were able to dream up together. How can we help these women in a sustainable way? Mm. And she's a seamstress by trade. She actually had a thriving sewing business before the war, had 12 or 13 girls working for her. And so she said, I could teach these women how to sew. And then they could be making their own money and we could get them out of the fields. And so I raised enough money for one sewing machine. We started training groups of women out of her house. This was years ago, seven, seven or eight years ago. Mm. And um, praying, you know, hoping it would work. And it did. We started training them in groups. They they learned how to sew. They started making the abayas, you know, the long dresses they wear. And there was a market for it. Lebanese will buy them. Syrians will buy them. Mm. And, and so from there, we just started training more and more women to now I think we have We've trained around 80 women and some of them we've we've been able to resettle back into Syria and their towns. Um, So, so it's been a really beautiful process and an amazing way just that I wouldn't have even fathomed, but an amazing way for the gospel to go forth. Mm -hmm. And this Nora is just a natural evangelist. So any customer that comes in and then she's just reproducing herself and all the other women that she's discipling. So any customer who comes into one of my address, any group of women that she trains, they start each day with prayer and they start each day with a lesson and, And so it's been a beautiful way to see this community grow. That's so wonderful. It's it's combining that sort of that sense of um, yeah NGO work, but done in the right way, where it's it's actually business development. It's releasing skills that are already there, and yeah, and the gospel at the same time. So there's that sort of business and entrepreneurial spirit as mission going on as well. Um, so I love how all this is coming together: gospel, business development work I suppose. oh yes yeah special yes it feels so holistic and mm-hmm. just i i've really felt in it because i don't have a business background at all <laughs> right. and so i really felt just god going before me and preparing the way in every step and and it, it's just been beautiful even to just to see how empowered these women feel um spiritually, financially, like it's just a full holistic transformation. Mm. I remember a few years ago, I I went up for my weekly meeting with Noor and she said, oh, I have great news to tell you. She said, so 
you know, Fatima, she really wanted to go to the north. She has some relatives there. They want to harvest olives together, but she really wanted to go and share about Jesus and what's going on, but she didn't have the money. So all the widows, we all pulled our money together. We put together, all of us together, we we raised $50 so that we could send Fatima to the north. It's in the Tripoli area so that she could go and start sharing Jesus. Wow. And I was just astounded. I, I I couldn't believe it. They're just sending out their first worker, you know, out, out to the north. And I, I had no I had no part in it. And I was so happy that I didn't that I just heard about it after the fact, you know. Yeah. Gosh, that's amazing, isn't it? And I'm just wondering how that works for you as um as wife and a mother. Has it been to juggle all these things? You've got, you know, so many things that you probably dream about um for your family and then your ministry and your business and your husband's work. And how does that all work together? Has it been easy to find that balance? <laughs> you know, I think that I've realized there's never going to be a balance where I think I'm going to give this percentage of my week to prayer and this percentage of my week to Syrian refugees and this percentage of my week to university students. It never, mm. it's more of the seasons. And I think it's definitely because it is a lot. It's true. It's a lot. <laughs> But I, I think that it's helped me to trust God even more and to say, God, I don't, I, I am a finite being. I only have so this much time in the week. And I'm also an introvert. So I actually can't wow. just be out talking all day. <laughs> I, I have to make sure that I have space to myself. And, and I really do feel really recharged if I get lots of just space, just by myself with the Lord, praying, worshiping. I'm a musician, so I love music. And mm-hmm. so I I have to make sure I have that space too. And, and so just ha- holding it very open-handedly. And, and even honestly, with the nature of refugee work, some weeks it is crazy and I'm spending way more time there more than the next week. There's a couple of university students that have their own crises that I, you know, so I really just have to say, okay, Lord, here I am. <laughs> you know my capacity better than I do. So please mm-hmm. help me, you know, so. That's good. Yeah, here I am today, Lord. What do you have for me today? Or what do you have for me this week? And trying yes. to be flexible enough. I'm really glad you said you're an introvert because so many of our, our listeners will think, oh, you know, if you're going to go overseas and do missions, one, you have to be an extrovert. <laughs> Two, you have to be an evangelist. Actually, no, where there are loads of introverts out there doing various different things. You know, we're all different, aren't we? And God will use us in different ways. Um, but no, that's that's really good. But let alone the other thing I was going to say is spiritually, you know, we need those times, even if we're super extroverted. Um, we need yes. those times to pull away like Jesus pulled away from the crowds. Otherwise, the demands will completely overwhelm us. And I mean, how many stories are there of, of folks like us who end up in burnout because we don't set good, healthy practices around our own spiritual lives or emotional lives or family lives? So, yeah, thank you for encouraging us in that way. Do you, could you share a little bit more just about the challenges that you personally have faced? But you mentioned secondary trauma earlier. Anything you want to share about that? Sure. Um, I think that with my own, and this goes back to capacity, what we were just talking about with my own mental wellness and making sure that I am thriving and integrated as a person. Yeah, a few years ago, was suffering, would wake up at night just with stories I heard or women that had come into the clinic who were obviously traumatized, but obviously neglecting their children because of how traumatized they were. It was really hard. And 
I'm really thankful as a visiting psychologist, actually, that was doing a, a training for people working with refugees kind of sat me down and said, Hey, you're telling me these things. I'm seeing these things. I, I would recommend, you know, getting some help. And I'm so glad he did because I just didn't know. I didn't know about secondary trauma. I didn't mm-hmm. know why, you know, I was, I was feeling the way I was feeling, why I was waking up at night. And so I'm so grateful for that because it did help me. I actually um, went to Spain for a week, got some care, mm-hmm. started some counseling and and really from there, it's just an invitation to deeper integration of even stuff from my past that was coming up that I felt God inviting me to 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 deal with so that I could become a, a healthier individual that would be able to engage the people that God is calling me to engage. So mm, thank you. Yeah, that that's really helpful. Um I think there's such an awareness growing, isn't there, in the in the younger generation of mental well-being and, and the good things we need to pay attention to, you know, in terms of, yeah, getting help when we need help. Um, and it, it, all, it touches on pride in a sense, doesn't it? Maybe we who are a bit older than, than you or, or the younger generation, even of students coming through, we certainly had a pride, I think, growing up that I can cope, I can handle this. Um, maybe guys fall into this more than ladies, can I say that, <laughs> without being sexist? But uh, I think <laughs> as a guy, perhaps I can say that. We're, we're not quite as good at, at I think, being willing to to go there to get some counseling to get some help but especially if you're yeah you're interacting with people who have incredibly difficult stories you know you need someone to go and and talk about that with yourself because you can't you no one's shoulders are strong enough to carry all these things that's probably the bottom line isn't it and even if we we know the lord and we unburden to him it's still good to get professional community you know godly help when we can get it Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. And yes, I, I have, I was, de- there's definitely some pride there for me too. Of I can do this. I might, I might be waking up at night, but whatever, like just not <laughs> wanting to, to deal with it. And it was such a mercy for the psychologist to, you know, to say, mm. Hey, mm. why don't you stop? You know, I just need, I needed someone to, to tell me like, Hey, just mm. stop. And let's take stock of how you are feeling, you know? So yes, it's okay to, to care for your own soul. Yes. So important. And to give, yeah, someone to give you permission to do that is very valuable, isn't it? And um, we haven't talked much at all about your husband, but I, I'm sure he's the kind of guy that's very supportive of your role, your ministry, your traveling out and, and so on. So, you know, I know that this is a whole family thing and your kids. So, you know, everyone's got to look after themselves and each other, don't they, in the midst of, of this kind of work? Mm. Yes. Um a little shout out just to the listeners. There's a really good podcast I, I've enjoyed called Restoring the Soul. Um, I might put that in, in the episode notes because that's that touches on a lot of these issues. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's important. Yeah. So what about team life out there? You know, you, you've had quite others around you supporting you. Has that been a good experience? Yes, I had a wonderful team experience. We were sent out as from our local church together. And so we had already been doing life together as a community, you know, in America, and then had the privilege of being able to do it overseas. And so learned Arabic together, moved to Lebanon together. And we were all around the same age. And so we raised, had our kids, raised our kids together. And did mission together. I mean, it was, it was a privilege. That's that long season. That was, that was about, yeah, spanning about a decade. Mm, That's brilliant. Yeah. There's something that 
perhaps folks won't have thought about that it's you know sometimes we think in a very western individualistic way i feel called to the nation saying i'm going to go and do this but it's amazing if it's a group thing you know our church could you know put the call out there and we could find a team that would come together from our church to go um, and do this together so i love i love that yeah i mean i'd love to see more of that in the uk yeah and, and what about any team challenges it's not always rosy <laughs> no it's definitely not always rosy and i think that probably the biggest challenge was lebanon you know lebanon i was saying this to a friend the other day it's it's a bit like a siren song from far away sounds really beautiful mm. and you're drawn to it but as you get closer and the day-to-day -day life i think especially with with families with kids it can be really grating and there's just a high level of adaptability you have to embrace to be able to live here um mm. especially right now after all that's happened in the country and it's a hard place to live and so i think that uh, that that part was hard of saying goodbye to to teammates then new teammates would come then we'd mm -hmm. say goodbye to them so that the revolving door is is hard emotionally yes. yeah that is tricky when yeah teammates come teammates go um because you've already done all the goodbyes to your own family and then to have to keep saying new goodbyes to people yeah that you've done life with and become family with yeah that's i can imagine that stuff i had a little bit of that um, and, and I mean, you, you mentioned in passing life in Lebanon can be tough with what's going on, but just for those who know nothing about Lebanon, really in the Middle East uh, politics or troubles you've had, what, what kinds of things have been really difficult for the, for the nation and for you guys? So in 2019, there was a, a revolution where the, the Lebanese people were just tired of the corrupt government, which is basically still run by the warlords that... <laughs> were in charge during the war, during the civil war. And they were, people were just tired of, of the nation suffering and the government doing nothing about it. So, I mean, millions of people turned out for these protests. Mm -hmm. It was mostly peaceful, but there were some deaths. And I think that time was really stressful because they would shut a lot of the roads and so you couldn't go anywhere. So so even before the pandemic, our kids didn't go to school for maybe two months because they could never get to school because they had shut so many roads. Mm. And so that is that was hard. And and nothing nothing changed, unfortunately. And so the government, the the country of Lebanon has just slid further, further down to where a failed state now. Um and even basics like electricity, water, mm. they're just hard to get for a lot mm. of people. And mm. so that's been really, really hard. And then you throw in, you know, the pandemic, which was hard for everyone around the world and hard for this country. And then in um, August of 2020, there was a huge blast in the port. Yes. They were storing hundreds of kilos of ammonium nitrate unsafely and it just it looked it looked like the whole city had gone through the civil war in the span of a few minutes because of the impact of the blast it was it was very very traumatizing for anyone that was in the city people mm -hmm. thought um israel was coming to bomb yeah. everyone was bracing themselves for more what what what's going to happen next it was it was very hard and so 
just the morale of of Lebanese here right now is very low. Um, feel very hopeless, and and I think very unsafe because just anything can happen. You know, people get so angry so fast, and so it's 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 a challenging time to live here. That's interesting because you know we talked just a little bit about um, personal trauma um, and secondary trauma. But actually, I guess there probably is something, I haven't even thought about it much, but there's probably, I'm sure, studies about community trauma and just, like you say, being on edge. It's that sense of, yeah, if people are on edge and just blowing up quite often, or the opposite, which is the sort of hoopoe arousal, they call it, don't they, in, in psychology, mm-hmm. where you just shut down and you just, you can't even care about anything anymore. Um, and and I guess that can happen on a community level, not just on a personal level. So yeah, whole countries do go through periods of of this, don't they? And so, how how are you seeing your family or your ministry responding to this situation? Or what are your dreams and hopes or your prayers at this time for the country? I have lots of hopes and dreams for this country. I have such a deep love and a deep hope for kingdom transformation here, and. I definitely have to ask God to give me eyes to see, because even when you look around, I mean, you know, we're what two and a half years later, there's still blown out buildings. The port still looks like a giant just went and had had fun with a hammer. I mean, just Mm. there's still a huge ship on its side in the port. There's just not the money to rebuild. And so so when you look at it with earthly eyes, you think, how, how, God, how can this nation rebuild its heart, its soul? But, but I have to believe that he does have a plan and I, and I do see it, you know, the people that come to our house church and say, this is such a safe place, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like bring people to this safe place. And so, so people finding those safe places, people finding um, communion with other people and, and finding healing through Jesus, because like you said, yes, the, the community trauma, and I would say even generational trauma, because I think even as I've talked to people who Lebanese who are older than me that lived through the war, they said, it's been so triggering, you know, all the, all the protests and then the blast it's, it it just takes the, they they are, they're suddenly 10 again back in the war. And I had one, one friend who told me I stopped in the middle of the street. I heard the, the, because there was a skirmish, this was a year ago, but there were RPGs being fired. And she said, I stopped in the middle of the street. And suddenly I was back as a 16 year old and, and hearing bombs go overhead and wondering if I was going to die. And I had shopkeepers from across the street yelling at me, Madame, Madame, get over here, you know, Mm. and it it is just, it's so much compounded trauma for them. Um, But again, it's that thing of, we just have, I have to ask God to give me eyes to see how he sees these people, how see he sees this nation. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And I think sometimes when communities, whether in the West or the East or anywhere, really, when when we find ourselves in the pigsty, you know, like the prodigal son, that's there's an opportunity there somewhere, isn't there, to say, God, have mercy on this nation. And, and you know, I pray that for our nation here, um, as well as for many, you know, nations around the world. But that we can only pray, can't we? Lord, have mercy in this situation. May the people realize there is only one rock that we can cling to. And everything yes. else is shifting sound, whether it's yes. wealth or health or st- stability, st- security. Um, so, yeah, I suppose it just goes back to that, doesn't it? The parable we talked about earlier, 
Um, Lord, give, yes. you know, give it, show us the rock. Show the people that there's one hope. Um, mm. Yeah, Amen. and that everything here is temporary. Um, you know, that's the hope that we bring, isn't it? The hope of eternal life. And that safe space, that's powerful. I like that. We're, we're people who bring not just good news, but we bring a, a, a presence with us and a safe space with us, the presence of God, that image of the tent again that you had building the yes. tabernacle, the, the presence of God. Because if they find safety, it's not just your house and nice people in this house. It's the presence of God. And they can tap into that, that this is where I feel loved and safe. The presence of God goes with them everywhere. That's the joy of it, isn't it? We don't have a physical temple we have to go to. He is with us. He is in us. And, and that peace, that security in the midst of bombs flying or economic collapse or pandemic, that's the hope that we carry, isn't it, to the nations? Yes. I love this. This has been really interesting. Um, there's one story you mentioned to me earlier about, because um, you've done, you talked a lot about ministering to the ladies, of course, you know, that's your, a lot of your world. Um, tell us about the, the prayers you had for some guys coming to faith from a Muslim background. Yes, we've, we've been praying for years, mobilized prayer for years that men would, would come into this network and, and start following Jesus. And a few years ago, we, we finally had our first guy. He was in a group, was falling in love with Jesus, but was getting some pushback from some of the people around him, but continued to want to meet together, do, do lessons with Noor. Mm. So we're talking Syrian refugees now. Yes, Syrian refugees. And one day he was walking to the UN agency that gives out mm. food parcels. And a group of men from a clan there that really give people who decide to follow Jesus, they do not like mm. <laughs> and will give people grief if they find out. And so they had found out that this man had started following Jesus and so apprehended him on the side of the road and had knives and stabbed him. And mm. someone found him, rushed him to the hospital, nor went and was able to interact with him a little bit. And she said when she told me that she was crying and saying, this is my fault. I shouldn't have even, I shouldn't have even said anything to you. And he said to her, nor this is not your fault. I'm so glad that I learned about Jesus and that I could follow him. This is not your fault. And then later on that night, he passed away in the hospital. And it was, it was a really dark time. It was a really dark time, a real soul searching time for, for Nor, for me, for, for a couple of us, but I'm sorry. It was definitely a dark night of the silver her. But as she wrestled through it, came to the conclusion of God, God has called me to this. And, and she found it to be such a mercy that she was able to talk to him. And he was able to say the words to her. It is right. not your fault. That's huge. And she said, I have to believe him when he says that. Mm -hmm. And so, mm -hmm. so it was a, it was a really hard season, but we, um, we continued to pray that men would, would rise up. Mm and join the women in this network. Okay, thank you for sharing that. That's definitely something we can pray into. Um, so it's, it's good to know about that. And yeah, as we can somehow in our minds try and imagine the work there amongst the refugees and, and the camps, even if they're more established now with, with houses and so on, you know, we can definitely be praying for the guys. Um, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Any final thought as we wrap this up? Um, 
any final scripture, anything maybe that sustained you over the years, any hints or tips for folks thinking, I don't know, you know, if you're recruiting people to come and join you or encouraging more workers for Lebanon or that part of Lebanon, but even generally anything you'd like to just throw out there to our listeners before we finish. I think I would just want to say in my parting words, you know, I mentioned a dark night of the soul for Noor, but I, I would say I went through my own post revolution pandemic blast and our team had left and I felt very, very alone and went through my own dark night of the soul where I just, even the presence of God, the felt presence of God felt so hidden. Mm -hmm. And, and I questioned, I questioned my calling here. I questioned my faith. I questioned everything. And I think that I would want to say for anyone who feels that every day is just full of darkness and confusion, that there is an end, that there is a restoration, mm. and that all will be well. Mm. Thank you. Uh, that's that's really encouraging. Is that something you've seen just in your personal life that took some time, but you that has been restored to a degree? Is is that part of your current story? Yes, I would say it's it's definitely been restored. It was about five years of hard suffering, confusion, but in in some ways, I'm I'm grateful for that season too because. I mean, again, going back to this shifting sand and rock, it really helped me to find my rock. You know, people are going to come and go. Countries will rise and fall. True. But the Lord is my rock and my salvation. And that does not change. No mm. matter if it feels like he is or it doesn't feel like he is, that is the constant. Mm, that's brilliant. And that, that's also such good advice for anyone thinking of going into ministry, whether at home or overseas. Um, because we have to find our solid ground in Christ because there will be so many challenges in life, in ministry. Um, and if we are, are battered, you know, by just life itself and we don't have that solid ground, the disappointments of other people will hit us too hard. Um, so, yeah, we, we've got to somehow just find that. Make sure we're there with that rock. And even in the dark times, we know, therefore, that, yes, there is a place to come back to. Um, and things will be well again, even if, yeah, into eternity. It's only going to be fulfilled then. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed uh, listening to your stories and your wisdom. God bless you as you continue in, in all the things you're doing and the counseling training and psychology that you're learning, the gospel opportunities in the camps and there in the city. Um, God bless your kids and your husband. And yeah, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It was a privilege to share. Thank you. Great. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today, guys. For more, check us out on our website, frontiers.org.uk and on all social media platforms, at Frontiers UK. Have a great week and make sure you don't miss our next episode.